Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me. Today, <clears throat> tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, we are going to take a really new slant in our study of the Scottish clans by learning about clans who are identified by their trades as well as their surnames. And their surnames came to be associated with their claims, although we will see that there was some back and forth between that and that they weren't strictly confined an individual wasn't strictly confined to his ancestor's trade, but there became these, these professional clans. And usually we study clans in the context of warfare because that was the easiest way to see different kindreds coming together for a common purpose based on real or perceived kinship in a common cause. It's really easy to see that in, in, the, in a violent conflict context. But quick, let me get a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. If you are in the market for anything that you can wear to express your pride in your Scottish heritage, or they've got some Welsh or some Irish stuff on there too, go check them out at usakilts.com. And their YouTube channel is USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions, where they have a ton of content on there that might be interesting to you, especially if you are looking to learn how to wear a kilt, but they've got also a bunch of cool Scottish culture and history and all sorts of things on there, so tons of content. Go check them out there. They do a really good job of answering questions, being intuitive to what people may ask or responding to what people have asked them via email or other forms. So go check them out on either on YouTube or at usakilts.com. Another thing that I'm really excited about is the I'm making some pretty good headway on this this uh, it's a mini course, an online mini course in is about the origins of the Scottish clans. So think of a think of a college course, an online college course that you could buy that includes so me teaching. Um, it includes scholarly works that you can read, and I'm going to make it so that you can be as academic or as get as deep into this and treat it as seriously as you want to. So if you just want to, if you're at the level of, I just want to hear somebody tell me some stuff I don't know, then then you might be wanting to go and just, you can get it on that level. But if you want to take this and really dive into it, I'm going to have a ton of scholarly um, literature there. Um, I'll have some PDFs that you can access yourself, and then I'll have referred you to textbooks, just like in a college course where the teacher says, "Hey, you can, you need these are the textbooks you need for this course," and you go get them at the university bookstore. Although a lot of the books that I'm going to be referring to people do not cost three or four hundred dollars, and none of them do. In fact, I, I really don't believe that that's the gateway into learning about this. Is that you have to spend your kids' college fund on learning about, or on paying for books. So I'm really excited about that. That'll be coming out before the end of the year. I've made some pretty good headway on that. Also, if you want to, if you like, if, you, if you're a return customer here, you're, you've, this is not your first podcast or podcast episode of mine that you've listened to and you like it and it's been of value to you, you can pay that back by joining our Patreon group and going to scottish-clans.com forward slash team. You can become part of the team and you can contribute to the cause there. All right, so let's get into this. We're going to, like I said, I'm really excited about this because it's a totally different angle that we're going to be 
approaching the Scottish clans from. Instead of warfare and learning about clan feuds and people killing each other, it's going to be a, a very pleasant break from that. And we're going to be learning about clans that identified themselves not just by a surname. There were certain surnames who that came to be associated with certain trades. So it was the trade also that defined these people. And my source for this, I'm going to actually just be reading straight out of Kinship, Church, and Culture, Collected Essays and Studies by John W.M. Bannerman. If you are someone who has listened to a lot of my episodes on here, then you have heard me mention his name before. And if you are, if you, if you want to take your understanding of the kin-based society of Scotland to another level, I really do recommend this book as one that you should buy and dive into. Man, there's tons of good stuff on here. He does mostly focus on um, Gaelic Scotland, Western Highlands and Isles, but there's things in here that are very relevant if you have more ancestry that comes from lowland areas of Scotland. In fact, he has a whole section in here that I just recently read. You know, I've owned this book for a while, but I've I've gone back over some of it. Um, the, he's got a section, one of this chapters in this is called The Scots Language and the Kin-Based Society, talking about how the Scots language actually borrows... As, as people in these lowland areas are transitioning f- linguistically from, a, from Gaelic, let's say in the Aberdeenshire area, which used to be Gaelic-speaking, you know, it was Pictish, and then they, the Picts were Gallicized, and then along that lowland sea coast area going up the east coast of Scotland there, they transitioned, but they hung on to a lot of Gaelic words that are in the Scots language now that are indicative of a kin-based society. And those, langu- those words hung on because in the view of Martin McGregor, the language receded, but some aspects of Gaelic culture didn't to include the kin-based society. Anyway, I really uh, encourage you to go and get this book. You, it does not cost an arm and a leg. I got mine off of Amazon, super easy. Okay, so I'm just gonna read, I'm, le- I'm gonna let John Bannerman teach you. And then I'm just going to add a couple of words of my own as I get to the end of it, like just some things that, that stood out to me. All right, so starting on page 320 of this, I'm not, I'm not reading the whole, this whole chapter. I'm just reading a, a couple of pages that I've selected I thought would be really interesting to you. And maybe some of you connect back in with some of these kindreds. So he talks about the, the to give you some context, since I'm not starting from the very beginning, he is talking about how the church and the church culture, not just the doctrine of the church, not just the church organization, but the church culture and the organization and the different positions that were, that were posted within that and the services that they provided for society as a whole. That's what he's discussing as we jump in here. Okay, quote, <clears throat> The kindred considerably influenced the staffing of the pre-Reformation church, particularly the monasteries. Thus, whenever a MacKinnon was abbot of Iona in the 15th century, the prior likely also, the prior was likely also to be a MacKinnon. The MacDuffies, as local lay patrons of the Priory of Orency, provided many of the officials of that community, while three successive MacDougall priors of Ardchatton are on record between 1489 and 1508. 
testifying to the continuing close association of the MacDougals of Dunolly with the priory founded by their ancestor, Duncan, son of Dougal, son of Summerled, circa 1230, unquote. Um, I did pronounce that Ard Chatton in previous episodes, especially about the clan Hatton. Um, look, as far as I know, it's still a clan Hatton, but maybe a Gale that's on this, or maybe just a local Scot can jump on there and tell me how that... Especially, I'd be curious to see how Highland Scots pronounce that. But I did, I was curious about it, looked it up on YouTube, and I found a Scottish woman at Ard Chatton Priory, and that is how she pronounced it, so I'm going to go with the locals and repent of my previous mispronunciation. Okay, back into it. Quote, as a corollary to this, there was an almost total lack of regard for clerical celibacy at all levels in the church, whether secular or regular. Andrew McEachern, parson of Kilkiven, who set up a cross towards the end of the 14th century, had no qualms about naming in the inscription his father, Ever McEachern, one-time parson of Kilcoman, and no doubt fully expected the spiritual benefits of his action to accrue to both him and his father. Angus, son of Angus, bishop of the Isles from 1472 to 1480, was almost certainly a son of Angus, son of Donald, lord of the Isles, who was bishop of the same diocese from 1426 to 1438, and indeed, in 1465 he petitioned the papacy to succeed to the abbacy of Iona on the grounds that he was the son of a bishop of royal blood. In the period circa 1362 to 1426, father and son were priors of Orency, and another inscribed cross set up by Abbot Finnean of Iona circa 1400 also names his two sons, Although the influence of the kindred and a disinterest in clerical celibacy are features of the pre-12th century church in Scotland and Ireland, they should probably be seen not as survivals of that church into the 15th century, but rather as a result of the involvement of the existing church in a society which continued to be organized on the basis of kin. It is possible to identify families who clearly looked upon service in the church as an hereditary profession. Such would be the MacPhillips in North Kintyre in the 15th and early 16th centuries, or the Macosh family of Ardbracknick, of whom no less than five can be identified as parish priests in the records of Mid-Argyle and Cowell between 1529 and 1558, while the McVerricks of Colonsey shared the staffing of Orency Priory with the McDuffies from before 1362 through to the Reformation. Here, too, we can go back in time to find the law tracks of the 7th and 8th centuries deliberately fitting churchmen into existing professional class, the Eisdana, literally, folk of gifts. These people, who included literally literary men, poets, genealogists, and historians, but also lawmen, physicians, musicians, and those whom we today would describe as craftsmen, workers in metal, wood, and stone, were accorded the status of nobles in society. By the 12th century, certainly, they were organized in families pursuing their profession or craft on an hereditary basis and were attached to the courts of the greater nobility. Many of them conducted a skol, or school, primarily, of course, for the training of members of the family, but lay people might also attend, no doubt for a fee, and it became the custom for already established practitioners to make circuits of famous schools. Very little had altered by the 15th century, and we must give pride of place to the McVerich family of poets, 
We, we possess at least 20 poems composed by their progenitor and eponym, Muradach Alabanach, who came over from Ireland to Scotland early in the 13th century. He was an O'Dali, already well established in Ireland as a literary family, and his descendants were to continue the literary tradition in Scotland down to the end of the 18th century, a remarkable length of service. During our period, they were poets to the Lords of the Isles, it was Lachlan Mor McVurich who composed the Brosnacha Kaha, or Incitement to Battle, before the Battle of Harlaw in 1411. We have already seen another Lachlan McVurich witnessing a charter issued with the con- consent of the Council of the Isles in 1485 as Archipoeta, while John McVurich composed one of the two laments for Angus Og, who died in 1490, in the book of the Dean of Lismore. Finally, we saw that they held lands in South Kintyre of the Lords of the Isles in return for their services. Hugh MacDonald, describing the order of precedence at a banquet held by a Lord of the Isles in the 15th century, places McVurich, the poet, among the most exalted in the land, and above him, Beaton, the principal physician. The Beatons, or Macbeths as they were generally known before the 17th century, rivaled the McVurichs in lengths of service and surpassed them in numbers recorded. The first beaten doctor is traditionally supposed to have come over from Ireland in the retinue of Anya O'Cahain, or Cahan, of Keenot, on the occasion of her marriage to Angus Og. The Beatons settled at Kilcoman in Isla, and, were, and we are told in 1609 that the ancestors of Fergus Macbeth, who is described as chief physician within the bounds of the Isles, had held lands in that parish to the Lord of the Isles beyond the memory of man. Near neighbors of the McVirichs in South Kintyre were the harpists to the Lords of the Isles, whose surname was Machilshenach, now, Engl- now Scotticized MacShannon. Their proximity to the McVirichs is explained by the duty of the harpist to accompany the, re- the recitation of the chief poet's most elaborate poetry. Finally, there is nothing more certain than that Will Elmus, Archeudex, was also a member of a family practicing law on an hereditary basis, but, unfortunately, his surname has not yet been securely identified. However, it is worth noting that that his forename, an uncommon one in this part of the country, was used by a family of Morrisons in Lewis, who were lawmen to the MacLeods of Lewis by the 16th century at least. Nor were hereditary families of smiths, carpenters, and stonemasons absent from the scene in the 15th century. We see the first two appearing on inscribed monumental sculpture at Kilmory and Kiel's Knapdale, which differs little, if at all, from that commissioned by the contemporary nobility. Macvecaid, the kindred surname of the smith, suggests a connection with the family of smiths working at the Columban Monastery of Kells at the beginning of the 12th century. To Derry, Kell's successor as the head of all the Col- Columban monasteries in Ireland, belonged the Obrolchans, whose interest in stone carving is on record there throughout the 12th century. Becoming domiciled in Scotland at least by the middle of the 14th century, they are on record at Iona circa 1450. Thus, Donald Obrolchan was responsible for the restoration work carried out in the abbey at that time. An inscription on a cross set up at Ard Chatton tells us that it was carved by John O'Brolchan in 1500. Another family of stonemasons were the O'Cuans, 
Mel Shecklin carried out the renovations to Orency Priory circa 1500 and carved the Great Cross in the graveyard, while an earlier Okuin of the same forename signed an effigy of a man in armor on Iona. Besides the professional families, whose permanent patrons in the 15th century were certainly, or probably, the Lords of the Isles, there were others supported by lesser people. The McNabb family of Smiths at Dalmally were no doubt employed by the McGregors at this time. A family whose surname was McVretnach were harpists probably to the McNeils of Gia, the O'Connachor, physicians first to the Campbell, Campbells and then to the McDougals of Dunolly, were already established in the area by our period, as were the McLaughlins at Craig and Ter of Kilmartin, which they held of the Campbells in return for their services as physicians. The McEwens, historians, genealogists, and poets, first to the McDougals and then to the Campbells, were probably a branch of the old established Bardic family of Ohoesa in Ireland, which is anglicized as Ohosi. Okay, unquote. Actually, I should have said unquote right there before the end of it when I said anglicized. Anyway, there we are, and, and that's where I'm going to stop that. It keep, keeps on going. Guys, like I said, you need to go get this book. If you are interested in diving into the kin-based society of Gaelic Scotland and with implications and material on um, sometimes not Gaelic Scotland, sometimes just on, low, uh, on lowland Scotland as well where they did not speak Gaelic, then I really recommend you go get this book. Now, before I, before I go back into there and just point some things out real quick that stood out to me, I want to give a, a more lengthy recognition of my sponsor, USA Kilts. Guys, their kilts are awesome. I've got a regular, um, what I would call a regular, like what you would think of usually with the five-yard wool kilt. A little bit nicer, right? Think of kilt as a nice garment. But then I, and then I got in the McFarland hunting tartan. I've got a, also a casual kilt in the McDuff, uh, the McDuff hunting tartan and that's my hiking through the backcountry breaking brush going through all this crazy stuff go ahead and let it get snagged or dirty or whatever and I'm not quite as worried about it and it does frankly it doesn't snag as easy as the wool kilt and it's a little um, easier to maintain with if it gets dirty and that stuff so yeah you don't have to take it to get to get dry cleaned so I, I that's, they both serve their functions. They're, I, they, I love them both. I love wearing kilts, especially hiking, but really to anywhere. I love wearing kilts. And so if you have any desire to get one yourself or anything else that would express your heritage to the, to the world, go to usakilts.com. It's not just kilts they got there. They got all sorts of things there. And if you wanted, if you're like me, I've got a Welsh surname and I, I represent, I represent my Welsh side of the family, even when I'm wearing a kilt. I've got a the dragon kilt pin and a Welsh dragon on my kilt belt buckle. So go there. They got tons of stuff. Go check them out, usakilts.com. Go check out their YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. Tons of good content on there. Tons of good content. Go in there, check them out, usakilts.com and USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube. All right. Now, just a couple of observations about some of the things we saw in here. First of all, let me just go through all of the surnames that we covered in there, all of the people who would be interested in hearing this podcast, this, this episode. We've got, it started off with the McKinnons. I'm going to go through them in the order that I covered them. McKinnon, McDuffie, McDougall, 
McPhillips, which I don't hear that one very often. McCosh. I don't, I don't see that one. That's a, that's a very, uh, very, um, I would, well, you, obscure. I don't know if that'd be a very flattering way to say that, but I don't, I don't know if I've ever met a Macosh. It's Mac, then C-A-U-I-S. Anyway, you had the McVericks, the McDuffies again, um, the, the O'Dally kindred, and I'm going to come back to that one because that brings up something that's interesting to me. The Beatons or Macbeths, the Macelshanich or McShannon, MacVicaid, Obrolchans. I've never met anybody whose last name is Obrolchan. It does say that they're originally an Irish family, as are the Okuans. Continuing the McNab family of Smiths at Dalmali, employed by the McGregors. McVretnik, Harpist probably to the McNeils of Gia, so there's two clans there. O'Connachover, or O'Connachor. Physicians, first to the Campbells, and then to the McDougals of Dunali, McLaughlins, um, McEwens, historians, genealogists, and poets, for, poets, first to the McDougals and then to the Campbells, and that they were a, it claims that they were a branch of Ohoasa or Ohosi. So there's, and that's where I stopped after I mentioned that one. So, couple of things. So there's all the clans that we mentioned in there that were either identified by their trade or it also mentioned some of the clans that employed them. Now, <clears throat> something really interesting about the, when it mentions the McVericks that they were actually came out of the Odalis. And that's the concept of clans that we'd recognize today we we they're, they're, we know we probably know somebody with the last name of that, and I don't know if you've ever met a McVerick or a, some version of that name. I I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's a if you studied the history of Scotland, you've probably seen that come up. Um, I I have seen that name outside of this book, but it says that they came out of the O'Dallys, already well established in Ireland as a literary family, and so this concept of the, the clan that we might recognize today coming out of an earlier kindred. And sometimes that earlier kindred, like O'Dali, is still recognized today. And sometimes that kindred has long ceased fade out, or, or long since fade, faded out. And they're obscure to only, uh, to everybody except for those who dive in deep into this stuff. Now, O'Dali, I will say that I did meet um, a, I was at a, school for in the, an army school for officers and I did bump into there one of my classmates was Dolly and he actually spelled it in the the Gallic way it wasn't O Dolly they'd they dropped that but um the Dolly part of it was still the Gallic spelling of it so I thought that was cool that that, that would preserve that and I think he was I can't remember where he's from Pennsylvania maybe anyway thought that was really cool. So this is the concept of one recognizable today kindred emerging out of an older kindred. Sometimes we know them, sometimes we don't. Like now we have McDonald's of Clan Ranald are the face of what used to be the McRory's before they, they lost that inheritance to their McDonald kinsmen. But anyway, I've talked about them before also in that last episode that I recorded on the the Ross clan and their founder who was of the Obiolan surname. 
that existed. And now you never see people with Obiolan, but you do know people last name Ross. And I know not all the Rosses are the Rosses of Balnagown, but but uh, they do. That's still a, a thing today, a current clan, and people descended from them, but they descend out of an earlier kindred. So I just think that's really interesting. I don't know if anybody else in the whole wide world does, but I think it's fascinating. And then um, another thing that I wanted to point out is this, the really cool, something that stood out to me in this is this this cultural exchange and this back and forth between Ireland and Gaelic Scotland. Now, I want to read one more paragraph on that because Bannerman goes on to give that a little attention here. Just one more paragraph on this this cultural continuity between Ireland and Scotland, especially when it comes to, I mean, in a lot of respects. But here he's going to talk specifically about these trades going back and forth. Quote, the surname of the Okuans, not to in, not to in, not to invention, not to mention. I think it says not to mention. Let me start that over. Quote, the surname of the Okuans, not to mention the forename Melshechlan, betrays their Irish origins. And we can actually see the Obrolchans in their Irish setting. The fact is that Gaelic-speaking Scots shared a common culture with their counterparts in Ireland. There is no more obvious demonstration of this than the number of Irish poets represented in the collection of Gaelic poetry made by the Dean of Lismore and his brother. But, although Ireland was and continued to be the metropolitan center of the common culture, even as late as the second half of the 17th century, Donald McVeerich, like his predecessors, we are told, went to Ireland for part of his bardic training. The traffic was by no means all one way. John Carswell intended his book to be used in Ireland as well as in Scotland. In 1473, Rory Rory Macbeth is recorded as holding lands in County Cork in fee for his medical services. One of the two poems ascribed to Gilachrist Macbrechnach in the Book of the Dean of Lismore was addressed to Tomaltach MacDiarmid of Moylurg in Connacht, who died in 1458. In it, Gilachrist suggests that the gift of a harp would sufficiently recompense him for the poem, and music, particularly harp music, may be the area of the common culture in which it would be possible to demonstrate that Scotland outstripped her mentor. Anyway, just it, it never has ceased to amaze, amaze me the, the striking cultural continuity between Gaelic Scotland and Ireland. They really there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of intermixing, and I mean we could go farther than trades. We just the language, the the tales that were told. It mentioned the book that John Carswell wrote. He wrote a, a uh, book of prayer in Gaelic, and he intended it to, as a pushback against... He was, you could hear his frustration as he says, these guys just never quit telling stories about Finn McCool. And, well, that's, a, that's an Irish-based legendary cycle, but it looks like it was alive and well in Gaelic Scotland. So you, you see all of this back and forth. Music would be another one. So anyway... And it did mention the harps in there. So just a couple of things that stood out to me and a really just interesting slant on the Kinbay Society and the clans of Scotland, but identified not through their feuds and their slaughters of each other, but more through their trades. And so that's what I wanted to leave you with. And I, I hope you enjoyed that. Once again, if you like what you're listening to and you're enjoying this, and you want to pay it back, go to scottish-clans.com forward slash team. And there's a link in there to go to the uh, Patreon account where you can where you can 
contribute to the cause and become part of the team and and uh, and express your appreciation for if this is if this is of any value to you and it and really it's it's not that much but it it, it does help so go in there and uh, and there's I've got via my website scottish-clans.com I've got I got a lot of other resources and links in there so go check that out I've got links to some PDFs if you want to download them of the 1587 roll of the clans where you can see a contemporary Scottish government document that is referring to these different kindreds within Scotland at the time, both in the Highlands and the borders. I've got General Wade's report on the Highlands in, for, taken from 1724, where he talks about the different strength of in, expressed in fighting men that different clans could put on the battlefield. You know, the Campbells can put this many, and the Mackenzies could put this many, and the Gordons could put this many on the field. So that's really that's really interesting. And it's in a PDF format, so if you want to study it, you know, you can find all that stuff online pretty easy and go in there and, and, and just read it. But if you want to highlight certain things and make notes on it and all those, or print it off, then, then you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash Wade for General Wade's report of the 1724, or you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash 1587 for that Roll of the Clans document. So... And there's, I've got links to sources on there and a link to my YouTube channel. I've got all sorts of stuff on there, so go check it out, scottish-clans.com. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to request uh, your, your clan that you want me to do an episode on, go ahead and go check that out. And I'm going to tell you that those of you who have, like, like Shane Carr who says, I've watched or I've listened to all of your episodes, can you please do something specifically on the cars? or the cares, or the curs, you know, when, when he tells me that I've listened to all the episodes, guess who jumps to the top of the, the recommendation list, the request list. So anyway, that's how it works, guys. Or if, you, uh, or if you've contributed to the Patreon, you definitely bump to the front of the, 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 front of the line on your requests. So there it is. There's how, to, um, there's how to do that. If you want to, once again, make that request, do it through the, the Scottish clans at gmail.com. That's how you actually make that request. And until next time, Marshall Leavendrasta.